Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. Can we get some lights in here? Just a little bit. I just want to be able to see you guys. Yeah, that's better. Thank you, team. How, how many of you guys know we're really, we're really grateful to have a team of people that serve us while we worship? It's really awesome. We just honor you guys. We thank you. Um, I'm really excited to preach this Sunday. I, I really believe that God's about to do something really cool in here. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to share with you guys, as a leader in this church, um, you know, there's, there's like this sense of um, like affection that I have for the people in this room. And to see what God is doing in each and every one of your lives is something that's so special um, that, that like I get emotional even just thinking about it. To see like the, the, the body that God is creating here, the work that God is doing. Right, we all come, we serve, we put our hands to the plow, but God is the one who builds his church. And if you look around you this morning, you have faithful sons and daughters of God who have come to worship in spirit and in truth. You have people that have laid their lives on the altar. And let me tell you, my friends, that is a miraculous thing, what God is doing here. And so I just wanna encourage us this morning, wherever you're at, I really believe that God wants to challenge us this morning, but wherever you're at, the Lord is pleased that you're here. And he's excited that you have accepted the journey to follow him. Amen? Amen. Amen. We are in a series right now called The Paradox of the Kingdom. How many of you guys have been blessed by this? Amen. Amen. Um, Today I get to talk about fulfillment. I get, to, I get to talk about what Jesus says about living a life that is fulfilled. And desire and longing is something that is so intrinsic to who we are as people that if Jesus doesn't give us a vision of, of, of life that is fulfilling, we are going to be hopeless. And we're in a cultural moment, and I'm gonna get into it, but we are in a cultural moment right now where hopelessness is everywhere. And this is a prophetic moment. God is building a church right here in Chicago that is rock solid in the hope of God, living fulfilled lives on mission for the kingdom. This is who we are. This is the journey that God's invited us into. This is the paradox. In the world, fulfillment is found in the satisfaction of our desires. And in the kingdom of God, fulfillment is found in the reorientation of our desires to the person and presence of Jesus for the flourishing of others and the glory of God. If you have your Bible this morning, I encourage you to turn to John, the Gospel of John, Chapter one, verse 35. 
Who's there? Let's go. I love a church that preaches the Bible. There's a lot of uh, new age Christianity out there. This is not one of those places if you thought it was. This is how John chapter one, verse 35 will read. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us such a privilege to know you. We thank you that you've given us your word. You've communicated your very heart to us. So we ask now, God, as as your word is preached, that you would reveal yourself to us in a greater measure. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to speak to us, to reveal the heart of God to us in this place. We thank you that you're faithful to do it. We give you praise and glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Peyton. She's so great. In 1966, a sociologist by the name of Philip Reef published a book with the name The Triumph of the, of the Therapeutic. Reef had a pretty um, average career as a sociologist, but this text, rightly so, put him on the map as one of the premier sociologists in America. His cultural awareness of the progression of our society and his prophetic insights into really where we would be at right now, if we look from our perspective today, is quite staggering. And one of the underlying convictions in his teaching is that we find our sense of self primarily by the way in which we engage with our culture. Our sense of self Our fulfillment in life is found by our ability to engage in the culture that we live in. And what he does is he he, he gives kind of this outline of, of, of cultures throughout history. And he says that there was first the political man. And this is this is the Aristotelian ideal of a man who engages in civic duty. He shows up at the public square, he participates at the assembly, and his Fulfillment is found in his, um, the way that he can engage with society. But then he says this gives way to the religious man. As the church began to dominate the West, the religious man found his identity in the way that he immersed himself in the life of the church that was a part of society. 
He then says that in the, when the Industrial Revolution came about, this gave way to the economic man who found his, 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 his fulfillment and his, um, his sense of worth in the way that he could produce to the economy and provide a life for his family. Can somebody say, boomer? <laughs> he then moves into a final category distinctly different from all the others. This is what's called the psychological man. This man or woman finds their sense of self not by any outward action, but by a personal quest for inward psychological happiness. If Reef were here today, I think he would argue that we've even stepped into a further class that we have stepped into the liberated man where we're no longer trying to make sense of the desires and things that are inside of us, but we actually allow those things inside of us to control us. And in many ways, this is our society right now. Now, please hear me. My goal in opening like this is not to critique every culture that has existed. It's merely to try to help us see that our fulfillment is connected with, the, with our society's vision for life. For example, in the political age, if you are a mom, don't you guys love how Brits say mom instead of mom? <laughs> if you're a mom and you want to start a business, that's a conflicting desire because your job is to produce strong men. So what do you do? You repress that desire. In, in the religious age, if you want to be an absent drunk father, you suck it up and you attend mass because that's what you do. In the economic age, whether you hate your nine to five and, you, and it doesn't give you life, you show up and you work because you have a grander vision for producing a life that your children could never have apart from you working. In the psychological age, we do what's ever necessary to address the internal turmoil that we feel. Now, where we find ourselves in our day and age is that we are a generation of people that are more liberated from the oppressive structures than any generation before. Yet we are more depressed, we are more anxious, and we are more empty of meaning than any generation that has ever existed. People are beginning to realize that although we have been liberated by the world to sleep with whoever we want to sleep with, whenever we want to sleep with them, however we want to sleep with them, we leave feeling broken and empty. People are beginning to realize that although we have been liberated by the world to generate our own ethical and moral principles, that that is actually a daunting task that will crush us. 
People are beginning to realize that although we have been liberated to put ourselves on the throne of our lives, that's actually quite a lonely place because we need each other. And so the question this morning in a culture that is being ravished by the teaching that I should just follow my own desires and and allow them to take me wherever they want. The question that we have to ask is, does Jesus have a compelling vision for what a fulfilled life looks like? And the answer is yes, he does. The main idea that Jesus latches onto in our text this morning is that every human being has desire and that every single desire that you and I have points to a greater desire for him. And so when we arrive at our text this morning, the context of where we're at is quite significant. And this is the thing, the first 34 verses of the Gospel of John are some of the most epic verses in the Bible, and I'm going to be so naive as to try to summarize them. Are you ready? There was a force, or a logos, and this logos created everything. And this logos was with God when it created everything. And this Logos was the God who created everything. And this Logos, who was God, who created everything, became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And then there was this guy, John the Baptist. Crazy guy. And he came to prepare the way for this guy. He's called a forerunner. And John declares that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. All right? One through 34, right there. (laughs) Now, when we come to our passage, we arrive the day after Jesus is publicly declared that son of God and baptized in the Jordan River. Now, as Jesus passes by, John recognizes the one that he has been waiting for, preaching about and preparing the people of Israel to receive. And he says, look. Better yet, the the, the better English translation for this is behold. And he says to you and I this morning, behold the Lamb of God. And it says that when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. That, my friends, is a powerful testimony of a man's ministry. Parents, if you want a legacy for your life, behold. If you're single and you're looking for a vision, Behold, my friends, would God make us a people that our life is one resounding behold? And as new disciples, Jesus actually greets them with a question. How funny. 
the very first thing they hear out of the mouth of their Lord, what do you want? What are you seeking in following me? In other words, what do you actually desire? And this, my friends, is the starting place of real discipleship. When we get real with God about what we actually want in life. In the mind of a first century Jew, these guys that would come to follow, the idea of a messianic figure brought about the idea of of imperial dominance. This messianic figure was gonna come and establish the rule and reign of God here on the earth. So these brothers are probably thinking, I'm getting on the right side of history. This guy's gonna set everything right. And Jesus came and he was not coming to do that. What he says is you better have your motives correct because if they're not, you'll be thoroughly disappointed. He looks at these eager young men who step up to follow, knowing that if they choose to follow, it would be on the way of the cross. When you ask a person if they're a disciple of Jesus or if they believe in God in our culture, what do they usually respond? Yeah, I mean, I I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he was buried, he rose again. On the third day, he ascended into heaven. He purchased me with his blood. I am a son of the king. We We give theological statements, affirmations, and Jesus asks, where are your affections? Both of those responses, both of those theological affirmations are inconsistent with the measurement that Jesus uses at the outset of discipleship. And in this context, it's profound because these brothers probably thought that they were about to take over the world. Seriously, they're like, this is the guy. This is our guy, ride or die. I will run through a brick wall for this man. And this man was gonna take them to the cross. And this is because if we come to follow Jesus for the hype, we'll be thoroughly disappointed because hype is created about people and people are fickle. If we come to follow Jesus for the hype, we will be thoroughly disappointed If we come for the signs, we will be let down because signs are external and they don't get inward to the heart. If we come for the reputation, we're going to be sadly disappointed because the world hated him and he said that the world would do the same to us. There is one reason that a man or a woman comes to follow Jesus. And do you know what that is this morning? Is because They want him. The insight for us in this first passage of scripture is this. The heart that is longing for him will always be satisfied in his presence. But the heart that does not desire him will constantly be in distress while trying to follow. And that's why he asks us this morning, that's why he asks his disciples there, what do you actually want? 
Now, the way that I understand the Bible, there are three general categories that each and every one of us will fall, fall into when asked this question. And so I'm just gonna walk through these. The first is rebellion. The person in rebellion answers the question, not you. I don't want you, God. This is the person under the power and dominion of sin who says, although God, you're real, and although God, you're really awesome, I want nothing to do with you. Paul describes this person in Romans 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but became futile in their thinking. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Therefore, God gave them up. God allows our actions to run their course to the lusts of their heart, the desires, what they actually want. God lets them have it because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And what ends up happening and what we're seeing on full display in our world right now is that the person that gives themselves to that life actually becomes a slave to that life. And so the, the, the lusts and the desires of the flesh that actually feel like liberation become the very thing that enslave the person who chooses it. Listen to Peter's warning, because this is, not just, um, this is not just people, this is the teachers of our day and age. Look at this. They, these, speaking of deceptive teachers, he says, these are waterless springs. Look at that word picture. A spring that's supposed to be this rich, deep, filling source of nutrients and life. Waterless the promise of nourishment and no deliver. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions or desires those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. What do you do when the people that are leading our world are themselves slaves to the things that are destroying the people they're leading? This is the perverted image of liberation that the world offers. The next category is religion. Now, the person in religion answers the question, I want you but I want you on my terms. And what that does is it inevitably cuts them off from the source of life that allows them to be changed into the type of person that truly wants him. What they are left with is trying to modify external behaviors rather than allowing him to get internal into the heart. And what this ends up doing is you, you get people that are actually fleeing God under the illusion of seeking him. This is the rich young ruler in Mark 10 who followed the law completely his entire life 
And Jesus exposes the condition of his heart and says, you actually desire money way more than you have ever desired me. And really what religion comes down to is pride. It is the refusal to become humble before God and receive his grace. Instead of receiving grace and approval from God, we seek it from man as a very poor substitute. You wanna know why? It's because um, approval from man will always leave you needing more approval. And grace from God will change you. But this, in fact, is the prophetic critique that Jesus gives the Pharisees in Matthew 23. The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They have that place of authority and teaching. But don't do what they do. For they preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They do all their deeds to be seen by others and they make phylacteries broad and the fringes long and they love honor at feasts. This is, this is, Jesus pronounces these woes on the Pharisees for practicing this kind of external religion that doesn't actually invite God into the depths of our heart. They do everything to be seen by others, loving the praise of man, seeking their approval. They use their religion as a way to gain approval from others. So many of you might be asking the question, okay, what do I do if I want to have a heart that longs for God, but I know that I do not? And let me just say this, if you have the grace on your life to ask that honest question, you're very close to the kingdom this morning. Because, it, it, because the reverse is religion. So when I wake up in the morning and I don't long for God and I have the, the, the grace on my life to say, I actually don't long for what I ought to long for, that's a place where grace comes because that's humility and honesty and vulnerability. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is required in this place is reorientation. Reorientation is what must take place when you want a, a heart that desires God, but you have desires that don't. I'm gonna say that again. Reorientation is what is required when you want a heart that desires God, but your desires do not. The person who desires authentic discipleship with Jesus answers the question the way that the disciples answered the question. Where are you going? Meaning, we want you. He is the goal of discipleship. He is the prize. He is the treasure. And I love the way that Jesus responds because it gives these disciples a taste into the next three years of their life. Okay, you say that you want me, 
I'm not going to give you a travel itinerary. We don't get to book a hotel. You don't get to know what this is going to cost you. And the reason here is because this requires investment. Real discipleship requires investment. Jesus makes them resolve in their hearts and then thereafter that at any moment they will invest their life into the, into the hands of this man. Regardless of where he takes them or what happens, essentially he challenges them with their answer and says, do you actually And then right there in that place, that's where we see the need for reorientation. It is at the moment of deep trust where what we think we desire and what we actually desire is exposed. This moment of deep trust where I have to trust not in anything I can do, but in the good um, intentions of a loving father. And this vision for reorientation inevitably requires the denial of ourself, going back to the second week. Because this self inherently does not like that. And that is the reason that that self and the desires of that self have to die. This is how Paul says it in Galatians 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Sorry, I'm old. And this is the insight. Apart from reorienting our desires to the person and presence of Jesus, being his disciple will not be fulfilling. And I love that Jesus himself, he doesn't invite us into this without modeling it himself. You know you're in the presence of a phenomenal teacher where they model what they teach. Jesus models in his own life that the, the very thing that he invites you and I into this morning. And that is a life that is sacrificially laid down for the flourishing of other people. True nourishment, true bliss, true fulfillment is found in a life that is sacrificially laid down on behalf of others. This is what he teaches and models in the kingdom. And, and this lifestyle of sacrifice and service, there is great glory and fulfillment. That is why Jesus says that the greatest among you will be servants. This is what Paul says to the Christians in Philippi. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The greatest life, the most fulfillment one can have is in laying down his life for the sake of others. And so at this point, we can now look 
at very practical areas of our life and evaluate if we're doing this. Are you guys ready? You guys still with me? Yeah. Your time. Is your time your time or is it God's time? What do you spend your time doing? Is your time on the altar of Jesus Christ? Your comforts and your joys, what do you take the most pleasure in truly? When you go to shut off, are you shutting off in things that are worshipful, that you enjoy with God? doesn't mean that we have to sit in our prayer closet. Like, please hear me. Like, that's not what we're saying here. But what do you take pleasure in? And is God in that place? Your money. How are you spending your money? Is God invited into the way that you spend your money? Your priorities. What do you choose to prioritize in your life? What are the things that actually matter most to you? Not the things that you would say if put up, if you were like to come up here and I were to say, all right, JP, what do you, what do you, you know, what, what, what matters most? You know, you know what I mean? But like deep down, the deepest part of who we are, what are the things that matter most to us? You see, because only a vision from heaven for what our lives ought to look like will be able to deliver us from the culture that we live in. I promise you that if we catch a vision of life like this, this will deliver us from seven hour Netflix binges. This, right, like this, this will deliver us from the fear of man. This will deliver us from comfort. This will deliver us from the American dream. And so this vision of, of, of fulfillment that Jesus invites us into is that when we behold him as he truly is, and begin to reorient our lives around it, we begin to long for the things we ought to long for. We begin, when we behold him, we begin to love the things that we ought to love. Sorry. When we get to that place, he becomes Lord over my time. He, become Lord, he becomes Lord over my comfort. He becomes Lord over my money. He becomes Lord over my priority. Okay, Nick. So if the heart that is longing for him will always be satisfied in his presence, what does it look like to become this person? It's not that complicated. Are you ready? Behold. This is why John models this. We go back to the text. Behold the Lamb of God. This is why beholding is so necessary. Cultivating a life where we behold the glory of God. And I want you to tell, the, I, I, I want to tell you this morning that regardless of which category you may find yourself in, what moves a person to want to reorient their life is beholding. Beholding the heart of God for you. Beholding the character of God for you this morning. 
Because you see, if, if, if we were to ask Jesus what he wants this morning, do you know what his answer would be? I hope you do. His answer would be you. And this is the heart that is seen throughout the gospel. He says, I want you to Nicodemus, who's stuck in religion, who's desperately searching for the truth of God. He patiently teaches him and invites him into the kingdom. He says, I want you to the woman at the well who has had her purity, her dignity, and her decency stripped from her five times over. He kneels down and he says, I want you. He says, I want you to the man who had been looked over and neglected for 38 years as he sat beside a healing pool. He kneels down, he touches him, and he makes him whole. He says, I want you to the rebellious son who rejected him and went and squandered every good gift that he gave him. He stands with open arms and invites him to come. He says, I want you to those who are thirsty this morning. He is the living water that will never run dry. He says, I want you to the thirsty and hungry soul. He is the bread of life. And my friends, when he looks at you this morning in your current situation, right where you are, you know what he says? I want you. Um, team, you can come back up. Yeah, thank you. Jesus stated that if you have seen him, you have seen the Father. He is the great gift of the Father revealed to us. And so when you think of God this morning, this is how you need to see him as a loving father who says, regardless of where you are right now, I want you. This, beholding this God, beholding this beautiful man is what makes us the type of people that will reorient our whole life around him when we see him as he truly is. And so I really feel like, I really feel like the Lord just wants to speak to all three of those categories this morning. If you find yourself in rebellion this morning, he wants you. The grace and mercy of God is available to you this morning and invites you into abundant life. Thank you, Eden. My girl. He invites you into abundant life. And my friends, you truly do long for this life. He invites you to receive his sacrificial love. And in beholding that beauty, throw your life into his hands. If you're in religion this morning, he wants you. The grace and mercy of God is open to you. He stands at the door and knocks. Invite him to come clean the inside of the cup. Invite him to come and change your heart to make you the person on the inside that, he, that you so desperately long other people to think you are on the outside. And if you have 
stepped into this reorientation this morning because I had to do it three times today. The grace and mercy of God is open to you and he wants you. He wants you to go deeper this morning because in him is the fountain that never runs dry. He wants to invite you to pour, to, 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 to receive abundance from him this morning, to take you deeper into a life in his presence so that your confession aligns with the psalmist. You have put more joy in my heart than those whose grain and wine abound. Take the entire world, I have you. So I just wanna give us a time to respond here. Um, I invited the band to come sing a, sing a song. Um, and I just encourage you right now, the word of the Lord over your life this morning is that he wants you. And we often sing a lot of songs about how we want him, we want him, we want more. And those are good and we ought to. But the word this morning is that he wants you. And so we just, want to, we, we just want to give a space to respond. And I encourage you this morning, regardless of which category you're in, when you come to the cross, you find a God of mercy. You find a God of grace. You find a God that changes you. This is the great gift of the gospel. And so we're just going to respond now. I encourage you right now, wherever you're at, if you wanna come on the altar, you're more than welcome to. If you wanna lay down in the back, if you, what, whatever you need to do to have a moment with God, we did not come to simply hear a word. We came to engage with the one who wants us. Amen. Bless you, church.